The eighth line of logical evidence showing us that the Bible really did come from God is that prophecy says so. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Isaiah 42, 5-9 This is what God the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from dungeons those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So how do we know that the Bible really did come from God? Well, apparently the eighth line of evidence is that prophecy says so. What do we just see? God is not only the creator of all things, but He knows about all things before they ever even happen, right? And the way He demonstrates that is by recording for us these prophetic events, i.e. the future, before it even happens, right? Which, as we saw before, is radically different than the so-called psychics out there that have a horrible track record of getting 92% of things wrong. God, on the other hand, when He makes a prediction about the future, it's not only 100% accurate, it's 100% accurate all the time. And it deals with specific, uh, specific intimate detail right down to the T. Not like the psychics that say, you're going to meet somebody new and you live in downtown New York City. Well, duh. And whether you realize it or not, this aspect of God prophesying future events 100% accurate before they ever even occur is yet another powerful way to demonstrate that the Bible really did come from God. Why? Because, stop and think about it. If a book were to uh, really come from God, then one would expect that it would contain certain things that only God could know, right? And so the question is, does the Bible contain things that only God would know? Absolutely. In fact, it doesn't contain just a few things, but tons of things that only God could know. Let me share just a few of them with you. The first thing that God accurately prophesies 100% of the time, showing us from the Bible that it really did come from Him, is the rise and fall of nations. Daniel 2, 36, 38, 39 through 40, and 45. That was the dream, and now I will tell you what it means. You are the head of gold. After you are gone, another kingdom will rule, but it won't be as strong. Then it will be followed by a kingdom of bronze that will rule the whole world. Next, a kingdom of iron will come to power, crushing and shattering everything. God has told you what is going to happen. And boy, did God ever tell Nebuchadnezzar what was going to happen. But what we see here is Daniel's amazing prophecy of the rise of four totally different nations existing hundreds of years apart from each other. The first nation was Nebuchadnezzar's, or Babylon. The second was the Medo-Persian Empire. The third was the Grecian Empire with Alexander the Great. And the fourth empire was the Roman Empire, which will be revived in the last days. And you may not think this is a big deal, but the skeptics sure do. You see, even the skeptics readily admit that Daniel accurately predicted the rise of these four empires right down to the T. In fact, so much so do they believe it that they try to deny its supernatural origin by claiming that the book of Daniel was written after the events took place. But of course, this doesn't hold up to the textual evidence, and it only reveals what the skeptics are really saying. 
Don't confuse me with the facts. That's not possible. I mean, only God could do that. You're right. And he did. But that's not all. The Bible not only accurately predicted the rise and fall of nations, but it also predicted their downfall. And and by the way, many of them were destroyed because of their ill treatment of the Jewish people. I think there's a lesson there. Uh, For instance, the Bible specifically predicted in the book of Nahum that the nation of Nineveh would be permanently destroyed, be destroyed by fire, would be easily captured, their army officers would desert, and they'd even be drunk in their final hours. So the question is, did God get it right? Of course, God doesn't lie. He's 100% accurate all the time. Not only did Nineveh cease to exist shortly after this prophecy, but just like Nahum said, archaeologists have uncovered a layer of ash in its ruins, showing it was destroyed by fire, and ancient Babylonian records reveal that Nineveh was easily overtaken and that their officers fled the scene. And a Greek historian even records for us that, quote, the king gave much wine to his soldiers that night, which caused them to be drunk. But Nineveh is not the only nation the Bible predicted would fall. The book of Isaiah predicted that the nation of Babylon would specifically be overthrown and attacked by the Medes, that their gates would open for a guy named Cyrus, and they would be reduced to swampland. And so again, the question is, did God get it right? Of course, God doesn't lie. He's 100% accurate all the time. Today, it's common knowledge that the Medes joined up with the Persians and conquered Babylon. And despite Babylon's incredible defenses, history records for us that a guy named Cyrus diverted the flow of the Euphrates River and marched into the city via the riverbed. And archaeological excavations reveal that parts of Babylon cannot be dug up because it's now under the water, making it swamp-like. But that's still not all. The books of Ezekiel and Amos predicted that the city of Tyre would specifically be attacked by many nations. Its fortresses would fail, their stones, timber, and soil would be thrown into the sea, and the remains of the city would be used to, quote, spread fishing nets. Now, that's a lot of specifics. So again, did God get it right? Of course, God doesn't lie. Babylon was the first to overthrow the city of Tyre, but the people retreated to an island fortress away from the mainland, and escaped total destruction. So wait a second, did God get it wrong? No, he wasn't done yet. Almost 250 years later, Alexander the Great attacked the city of Tyre, and when he did, the people did the same thing. They ran out to their island fortress, but, as history records, Alexander the Great took the rubble from Tyre's mainland ruins, the stones, the timber, and the soil, and he cast them into the sea, and he made a land bridge to the island and conquered the people. In fact, the city of Tyre has uh, been repeatedly destroyed by the Phoenicians, the Romans, the Crusaders, and even the Muslims. And today, guess what? Tyre is nothing but a flat, barren rock that people only use to, quote, spread their fishing nets. Now, folks, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'd say that there's no way somebody can know all that specific information about the rise and fall of all those nations in advance without some outside help. How about you? I mean, that can't happen by chance. In fact, the only way they could know is if somebody who was above and beyond time and who knew the beginning from the end uh, personally told them about it, right? Hmm, I wonder who that might be. God, perhaps? And that's one of the reasons why we know the Bible came from Him. The second thing God prophesies 100% accurate all the time, showing us the Bible really did come from Him, is the arrival of the Messiah. Isaiah 7 13 through 14. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, ye house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? 
Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now we're all very familiar with Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. I mean, we hear about it almost every single Christmas. In fact, we hear about it so much that I think we've lost its significance. But here's the point. As amazing as the virgin birth is, that's only one of hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled proving that he was indeed the Messiah. Let's take a look at just 30 of them. Born of a virgin. Born of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Descended from the tribe of Judah. Heir to the throne of David. Born in Bethlehem. Slaughter of the innocents. The flight to Egypt. Proceeded by a forerunner. Declared the Son of God. Would have a ministry in Galilee. Came to heal the brokenhearted. Rejected by his own. A triumphal entry. Betrayed by a friend. Sold for 30 pieces of silver. Accused by false witnesses. Silent to accusations. Spat upon and smitten. Hated without reason. His hands pierced. Crucified with transgressors. Scorned and mocked. Given vinegar and gall. Prayer for his enemies. Soldiers would gamble for his coat. No bones would be broken. His side would be pierced. He'd be buried with the rich. He would rise from the dead. And he would ascend to God's right hand. Now here's the point. For one person to specifically fulfill all those prophecies is not only amazing, but I still don't think we catch just how amazing it is until we take a look at the odds of something like this taking place. By using modern science of probability, we find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled just eight prophecies is one in ten to the seventeenth power. In order to help us comprehend this staggering probability, it can be illustrated by taking silver dollars and laying them on the face of Texas, which would be enough to cover the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars with a red X and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have of writing just eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man. Furthermore, the odds of just 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one man would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. And to give you an idea of just how big a number that is, the estimated number of electrons in the whole universe is about 1 in 10 to the 79th power. Now again, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'd say it's pretty obvious that there's no way that Jesus fulfilled 48 prophecies by accident. And by the way, he didn't just fulfill 48 of them. Over 300 he fulfilled. That can't happen by chance. In fact, the only way it could happen is if uh, somebody was above and beyond time and they knew the beginning from the end and they orchestrated the whole thing and I wonder who that might be. God, perhaps? Yeah. And that's why we know the Bible came from him. But again, that's still not all. The Bible also predicted in the book of Daniel, centuries before it happened, the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah in Jerusalem. And not just a good guess either, but down to the exact day. Daniel predicted in Daniel chapter 9 that 173,880 days from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, that the Messiah would come to Jerusalem and be cut off from his people. Now, that's pretty specific, don't you think? 
And so what happened 173,880 days after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem? Well, that puts us at March 30, AD 33. And can anyone guess what happened on that day? Hey, folks, that's exactly the day when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and he was rejected or cut off from his people. But again, that's still not all. The Bible also predicted many specific events that would occur just prior to the return of the Messiah, his second coming, and you tell me if we're not getting close to those. Let's just take a look at 30 of those. Israel would return to the land again. Israel would become a nation again. Israel would become a nation again in one day. Israel would become a united nation. Israel would have a powerful military. Their currency would become the shekel. Israel would blossom as a rose in the desert. Israel would become a source of world conflict. Israel would rebuild the temple. There would be an increase of travel, an increase of knowledge, an increase of unrest, an increase of earthquakes, an increase of famines, an increase of pestilence, an increase of wars, an increase of strange events in the sky, an increase of global catastrophes, an increase of false Christs, an increase of false teachers, an increase of wickedness. The church will go into apostasy. The world would push for a one world religion. The people of God would be persecuted around the whole planet. There'd be a rise of an antichrist and false prophet. There'd be a push for a one world government. There would arise a global big brother society. There'd be a push for a one world economy. One man would control all the buying and the selling on the planet. And there'd be a push for some sort of mark of the beast to be put in people's right hand or forehead across the whole planet. Hey, I don't know about you, but it's a good thing we don't see any signs of those things taking place. <laughs> yeah, right. Every single one of them is happening right now, which means Jesus is about to come back. In fact, there's almost 2,000 prophecies mentioned in the Bible. And nearly one-third of the Bible's content deals directly with predictive prophecy, all of which uh, is already been fulfilled, as you just saw, or is on the verge of being so. Therefore, again, here's the point. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if all the 300 prophecies came to pass concerning Jesus' first coming, and he knocked them out of the park, then what do you think is going to happen to the some 318 prophecies concerning his second coming? I think he's going to knock those out of the park too. And speaking of Jesus' second coming, as you clearly saw, the Bible predicted nearly 2,000 years ago that there would be some sort of mark of the beast or antichrist that uh, would be implanted uh, in the people all across the planet and that this mark would allow them to buy or sell, right? Well, again, here's the point. I'm glad that's nowhere on the horizon, or is it? You tell me if we're not getting close to the return of Jesus Christ. Because the commercials for the Mark of the Beast type technology, they're already here. They're being aired on TV. Check it out for yourself. To think something so small can connect you to everything that matters. When your life and all you love are on the line. HealthLink is always with you. When every second counts in the emergency room, providing immediate access to your medical records. Because Bob has trouble remembering all his medications. Because I'm in love with my kids' kids. Because my car lost control while driving. Because now I'm looking out for both of us. 
because I have diabetes, but it doesn't have me. Because I spend my life in the ER trying to save yours. Huh? If only you'd receive this implant, it'll save your life. Aren't you glad that they've taken over the healthcare system? Uh, uh, notice where they're starting. But, 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 the, but they'll never force us into taking that, will they? Well, we'll get, get into that in a second, but here's my point. Looks to me like somebody's promoting some sort of a mark thingy to implant in our bodies. How about you? Right now on TV. I, I, I mean, won't it be wonderful and so safe and so convenient? And, and that's precisely the selling point. And by the way, the same technology has the ability to not only store your medical information, but any information, including your ID, as well as make financial transactions. You know, buy and sell stuff. But you might be thinking, well, hey, man, (laughs) there's no way uh, in the world that people are going to accept that thing into their bodies. I don't care what they do. I I don't care how many commercials they run. Nobody's going to fall for this. This is crazy. Really? Well, crazy or not, folks, you tell me if people, for the first time in mankind's history, are ready to receive some sort of mark into their bodies. A procedure that takes only seconds to carry out. And the chip is now extruded, and we're finished. Has turned the Jacobs family into medical pioneers. They are the first people to get chipped, implanted with a tiny device called a Verichip that emits radio frequencies. It's a personal ID that also contains vital medical information. And save a lot of lives, including my dad's, because he has a lot of medical problems, and I wanted to be around for a while. A handheld scanner reads the Verichip. Theoretically, police, paramedics, and hospital workers would use the information during an emergency. Thousands of Americans are already lining up to get them. And Applied Digital Solutions, the company that developed the Verichip, says this might only be the beginning. Company scientists are already working on a global positioning system similar to what you'd use in your boat or your car, but to track people. And like the Verichip, it would be small enough to implant in someone. Caught some sunburn, I guess. <laughs> Nathan Isaacson's in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. I couldn't find my way home. Kind of embarrassing moment. He already wears a beeper-like GPS gadget and was also injected with a Verichip. Implanting both devices would give him and his family more peace of mind. And Nate can't wait to be chipped. I'm ready. And you, I know you're ready. (laughs) Definitely ready. Yeah. I'm looking for the peace of mind. Peace of mind? If you'll just receive this implant? Wow. Looks to me like those commercials are working. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it would appear to me that for the first time in mankind's history, that people are not only ready to receive some sort of mark into their bodies, but, but what? They're totally excited about it. Can you believe that? And, and, and again, you might be thinking, well, well, hey, that's for those, with all due respect, crazy people out there. But, but me, man, pfft, there is no way, no stinking way am I ever going to go along with this. I'll never take that thing into my body. Really? Well, again, I'll, I'll say it again. Aren't you glad they took over the healthcare system? And if you don't think that uh, one day and this day will ever come where our own government will force us into taking some sort of mark into our bodies, you're wrong. Number one, they force us into taking health care, right? And number two, you better listen to this from Congress, where at that time, Senator Joseph Biden, who was vice president, was grilling then-candidate John Roberts for the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And he's now the chief justice. 
of the Supreme Court. And, and, and you tell me if there's not some plans of being forced by our own government into receiving some sort of mark and implant into our bodies. And we'll be faced with equally consequential decisions in the 21st century. Can a microscopic tag be implanted in a person's body to track his every movement? There's actual discussion about that. You will rule on that. Mark my words before your tenure is over. Can brain scans be used to determine whether a person is inclined toward criminality or violent behavior? You will rule on that. I think the real concern that most people have is that, you know, at some point the government would say, line up and get your chip. But hey, that'll never happen. You will rule on that. Mark my words. Folks, I don't know about you, but if, if Congress is talking about implanting microscopic tags into people to track their every move, then my guess is they're probably going to implant microscopic tags into people to track their every move. How about you? And, and again, Biden was the vice president, and Roberts has been the chief justice for a while now. I mean, I, I wonder when he's going to rule on it, just like he did with health care. I don't know about you, but, but I'd say it's time we better wake up, folks. Jesus Christ is coming back, and it might be a whole lot sooner than you think. You better make sure you're ready. But here's the point. Predictive prophecy, as you can see, is a powerful way to show us that the Bible really came from God. He gets it right 100% of the time, and it's happening before our very eyes. And that's why one researcher had this to say. Unlike any other book, the Bible alone offers a multitude of specific predictions some hundreds of years in advance that have been literally fulfilled. This shows us that the Bible alone contains things that only God could know and thus reveal its divine inspiration. Limited beings know the future only if it is told to them by an omniscient being. If an omniscient being is known to exist and highly improbable predictions are made in his name, which come to pass without fail, then it is reasonable to assume that they are divinely inspired. And if the Bible contains such predictions, then they are a sign of the Bible's divine origin. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You can't agree with some of the Bible's teaching and then turn around and deny its authenticity. Why? Because Bible prophecy clearly presents the Bible as the genuine Word of God. And anything short of this is called hypocrisy. And so it is with the skeptics of the Bible. Again, they spout off these bold claims that the Bible can't be trusted, it's a book full of errors, it's woke up by man, and yet it's they who refuse to look at the evidence. But again, people, be encouraged today. You don't have to give in to the attacks of the skeptic. You don't have to give in to doubt. You don't have to give in to one iota of criticism. What we hold in our hands is the genuine Word of God. And that's why, again, more than ever, we have got to wake up and realize the golden opportunity that God has given to us. Our world is in a frantic search for purpose and direction and meaning to life. They, they realize the world's messed up and it's getting worse. And so they're full of questions like, why do I exist? Where did I come from? Where's all this evil coming from? Is there life after death? And is there any hope? And it's high time that we, the church, get busy not just saying the Bible came from God, but showing the world that it came from God by our diligence in studying it. Why? Because not only is the world going to be duped into receiving a mark of the beast into their bodies and sealing their own demise, but there's also going to be false prophets out there that the Bible clearly warns about. But unless you get in there and read it for yourselves, you're going to fall for their lies as well, like these Christians did. You know, the term called itself really came to people's attention. For many people, the first time they ever heard the term was back in November of 1978. 
I'll never forget I was uh, leaving Manila that morning and I was flying to Singapore and I got on the airplane and people were reading the newspaper and everybody was saying, I can't believe it. How could it happen? And I opened the newspaper and there on the Manila Times, the headlines read, 913 Americans from California commit mass suicide in Jonestown, Guyana. And you remember the cover of Time magazine that week, The Call to Death, telling the story of Jim Jones in the People's Temple in San Francisco. And Jim Jones had moved out to California, established what he called the People's Temple in the Bay Area, gathered a group of followers around him and began to teach that he was the voice of God, he was the prophet of God on earth, that he alone had the truth. And he so convinced over a thousand people here in California that he was the voice of God, the prophet of God on earth, that when he told them to move down to Guyana, British Guyana and South America and establish a commune called Jonestown, over a thousand people from the Bay Area moved to South America. And we hear on the last tapes where he's telling his followers that he is the Messiah, that he is Jesus Christ himself. And when he told him to drink poison, 913 people from California took Dixie cups and they dipped into that vat of grape Kool-Aid laced with cyanide poisoning. And they gave the poison to their babies and to their children and drank it themselves. And that's that week, Newsweek had on the cover the picture of 900 Americans, their bloated bodies lying in the hot tropical jungle, having committed mass suicide following a man who they believed was the voice of God, the prophet of God on earth. And people said, how could it happen? I mean, how could you have a thousand intelligent Americans from California follow a man and be told to drink poison and they commit mass suicide. It was interesting to me that the commander of the U.S. forces who was responsible for going down to Jonestown and cleaning the camp out and bringing the bodies back for burial. When he returned to Dover Air Force Base, he held a press conference. He was a Christian. And I'll never forget one of the things the commander stated. He said, you know, the thing which interested us most about Jonestown, he said, when we clean the camp out, he said, we did not find a single Bible in all of Jonestown. If we don't want to be duped, even today, or led astray in the last days as Christians, then we better make sure we not only have Bibles in our camps, in our homes, and in our churches, but we better get busy reading them. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today... Are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. 
And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused 
to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.